Welcome to the podcast. Our guest today is the managing director of DNA Testing Choice, which is a news and reviews site for at-home DNA testing. Maybe it would be accurate to call it the Yelp of genetic testing. I've uh, heard that before. Um, so Craig McPherson is the managing director of DNA Testing Choice, the Yelp for DNA testing. Is that accurate, Craig? Would you call it that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not that familiar with uh, with Yelp, so I, I tend to call it the TripAdvisor of DNA testing, but yeah, you, you got it. Yeah, wonderful. So can you tell us why you decided to start DNA testing choice in the first place? When did you do it, and, and why did you decide to start it? Sure. Well, um, I'd always had an interest in genetics, but at the beginning of my career, I, I, I spent my time at Microsoft and a few tech startups, uh, very much in the sort of advertising industry. But um, 2013, uh, my uh, grandfather was suffering um, with some pretty bad, um, well, pretty progressed Alzheimer's. And I took an interest in the fact that that was, um, you know, genetically heritable. And I began to, I began to do a bit of research and I found that the the DNA tests available on the internet were very confusing. Um, I knew that you could commission, you know, certain DNA tests if you had a family history, uh, but that that was normally, you know, expensive uh, and and lengthy. So a quick DNA test was appealing. Um, and I remember I found about forty different tests that you could buy on the internet. Um, and this was globally. Uh, in 2013, and it struck me that a sort of a comparison site model could be really helpful. Um, and although I was initially planning to do a comparison site for DNA tests that help tell you about what disease you might suffer with in the future, it seemed to me that many of the, the companies producing these tests um, were doing ancestry, health, uh, and even, you know, much older tests using the 1970s technology uh, for like paternity testing and DNA testing for immigration. So I just decided, let's just map every single DNA test that you can buy on the internet um, on this site and, um, yeah, start, start reviewing them. So I spent a great deal of money. I took every single test on the market and um, I wrote a review of each. Um, I am not a geneticist, so I wrote it from the perspective of just a normal person, um, what was clear and what wasn't, what was good value for money, um, and having done a science degree, I was able to look at the genes that were being referenced by these companies and follow up with um, you know, the, the research that had been linked to the result that I was seeing. Yeah, so you you took every every test yourself in the early days. You you bought them and paid for them. That's amazing. Yeah, before I started the site, I spent tens of thousands of pounds taking every single test. Wow, that's uh, so. It, I remember the problem that you were describing at that time. I was doing my PhD and also noticed the gulf between kind of clinical genetic tests that could diagnose a, you know, a family something that was uh, inherited through the family and some of the uh, more consumer-minded tests, and I remember having an epiphany that someone should start a Trustpilot or a Yelp or whatever <laughs> you want to call it, and and I remember Googling and finding DNA test choice and going, oh good, someone actually thought of this 
two or three years ago. Has, yeah, that, this is clearly not a new idea. I've not just uh, done something amazing here. And, and I was amazed. I mean, at the time, the site had probably dozens of tests, thousands of reviews. Today, you've got millions of views probably, right? And thousands. I, I remember some of the tests have hundreds of reviews already. Is that, um, it's pretty popular. Yeah. So, so to roll it back, um, so the very beginning of uh, 2014, uh, there were 40 companies uh, that were selling the tests. And between them, they probably sold about 300 tests, uh, including paternity tests, ancestry tests. Uh, and whereas today, um, there are over 300 companies selling DNA tests on the internet. And uh, between them, they sell 3,000 different tests. So that's, that's been over five years. And on our site, um, over 15,000 sort of members of the public have posted a review. Um, and myself personally, uh, I've taken, or my team members have taken um, 300 tests now. You are probably the most uh, thoroughly genotyped person. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. And so from 40, 40 companies, 300 tests to 300 companies, 3,000 tests, what's the biggest change you've seen? Is it new kinds of tests or is it people creating you know, minor updates or incremental updates on the same things? What's the biggest change you've seen over the last four or five years? Definitely tests that don't require a biological sample. Um, you know, there was no such thing in 2013. You needed to uh, yeah, provide a saliva sample or take a cheek swab. And you were even getting these Lancet devices where you'd put a drop of blood onto a piece of card and send that in. Um, but there's been a, yeah, an explosion in tests that say, if you already have raw data, from taking another test like 23andMe, uh, then just let us query that raw data and we'll give you additional results or, or different results. Um, so that's been a huge change. And you know, those sorts of tests that only require data are, are in many different forms. You've got mobile apps, you've got web apps. Some people will give you, you know, PDF reports. Some people have got beautiful online interfaces where they'll, where they'll share their results. Um, so that's that's definitely been a big change. Um, there's been an explosion in pet DNA testing. Um, that's incredibly popular. And tests that show um, you know non-health information. But the three biggest types of tests have always been health tests, tests to trace your ancestry, and paternity tests, uh, but now there are tests that will give you your you know, predisposition to personality traits. Uh, there are tests that will allow you to do genetic dating, so you meet people on the basis of your genes. Um, all sorts of tests that will analyze your microbiome and, and the microbial community inside you. So there are so many different categories of tests now. Yeah, so, so do you... I know you have expert reviews. Some of them come from uh, people that are hired by DNA Testing Choice, some from kind of scientists, medical professionals, and then, of course, the open reviews. Do, do you ever see 
conflict between what scientists and medical professionals say versus what what people say, what they like, what they find accurate, and how do you how do you handle that sort of thing? Well, it's it's interesting. So, firstly, uh, myself and my team, the ones who actually write these these formal reviews, you know, our editors' reviews, as we call them, uh, we have science degrees, but we are not geneticists. So, we are not writing from the perspective of medical professionals. Um, we're writing from the perspective of people, perspective, uh, you know, of people who understand science to a, to a certain level. We understand statistics, and a lot of uh, genetic results are sort of inferential. And you do need to understand statistics, and we also understand what makes good research. You know, whether it's a peer-reviewed study, how many participants are on that study, um, and you know what makes you know, poor research, you know, a 200-person study of maybe one ethnicity and one gender um, that has not been peer-reviewed. And so we use that to follow up. But I do have, um, I frequently speak with medical professionals and geneticists and genetic counsellors about consumer DNA tests. So would you, do you want me to sort of share my experience of, from that perspective? Yeah, it would be great to hear. I mean, I know there's uh, there's there's always things coming out in the popular media where it's scientists or medical professional discussing either the merits or the challenges around testing. But I, I think probably you more than most have uh, probably have your finger on the pulse because of the sheer amount of data and number of people that are coming through your site. So it'd be, yeah, it'd be really great to hear some of those insights. Sure. So I would say one of the biggest reasons for the success of consumer uh, genetic testing is marketing. Um, a lot of companies and individuals, you know, see the investment possibilities and throw, you know, tens if not hundreds of millions at genetic companies such as 23andMe and Ancestry.com that have very slick, you know, TV advertising campaigns. Um, so there's a there's a beautiful veneer of marketing on on top. When you actually look at the uh, you know the science, for example, um, ancestry uh, testing, um, there's actually an, an individual um, professor Mark Thomas at UCL who um, is is an expert in uh, you know where genetics uh, meets human heritage, and he will quite clearly state that a lot of a lot of ancestry companies can't possibly say what they are they are trying to to tell you that you are 15% Iranian that you are 25% Ashkenazi Jewish uh, that a thousand years ago your family live in a you know a small town in Scotland so what's happening is you've got very clever marketers talking to in-house scientists about statistical likelihoods from just a handful of genetic markers uh, and then sort of building on top of that to say your ancestors, uh, you know, were Vikings or you are related to Charlemagne or the, the Queen of England. And there's sort of a, a delicate, you know, balance of likelihoods here uh, where marketers have license to sort of stretch the truth. And people are very eager to learn about themselves and their family. And they want to believe that they have these relations and their families did travel through, you know, Iberia 100,000 years ago. Um, but the very basic science um, in terms of ancestry testing, uh, 
although it's very, very rich uh, and there's still a lot more to learn, it can't possibly tell you what um, modern genetic ancestry companies are trying to tell you that it tells you. Yeah, so would it be fair to say that there's, there's maybe a kind of tug of war going on between the scientists and the, the people that are out selling the tests, right? So the scientists want to say you're between 10 and 30 percent Norwegian, right? Maybe that's what the model says, or even Scandinavian. But the, uh, the people who are selling the test would like to say you are 20 percent Viking, right? Because who doesn't want to? You want to <laughs> nobody likes intervals, and, and we want to kind of tie it to an interesting and exciting story, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I wouldn't say so much say it's a tug of war. I would say, um, you know, professional scientists who are not trying to sell tests, they will share that this is genetic astrology. You know, this is buyer beware, um, that this is really a very small part of the whole genetic revolution. And that individuals are being told what they want to hear. And I think that Many professional scientists who are, you know, not involved in genetic testing um, will say it's harmless, and if people want to spend their money in that way, uh, then they can. Um, you know, to your point, it, it's not possible to say that you are 15%, you know, Norwegian, and it's not possible to say that you are, you know, between 30 and 0% Norwegian. Um, the general understanding is that 200,000 years ago, um, Homo sapiens arose... Uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. So if you want to know what your ancestry was 200,000 years ago, I can tell you you're 100% sub-Saharan African. Um, if you want to know what your ancestry is today, and I assume your parents were born in the United States, That's then right. I would say that you are 100% uh, you know, North American. You're 100% from the United States. So what the ancestry companies don't talk about is okay, well, you may have, you know, 15% Finnish ancestry, but was that one generation ago, five generations ago, 10,000 years ago, 100,000 years ago? The percentage of genetic markers that we possess and how they are linked to geographical regions is, is changing all the time. Um, but ancestry companies will just give you a flat, you're 20% Western European, you know, you're 7% Japanese, with absolutely, uh, you know, no um, discussion about the timescales involved, you know, genetic drift and other major factors. Yeah, I guess genetic drift isn't a, doesn't really sell, does it? It's not the most. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think I, d I definitely share your viewpoint on this. What, what do you think is the, what's the, what's the nugget or what's the really exciting piece that? Because there's a huge amount of conversation around genetic astrology and and um, what's going wrong with some of these tests. But what do you think is, what's the, what's the really exciting stuff that everybody's not paying enough attention to on the kind of consumer, direct-to-consumer testing? What's, uh, you know, what's coming next or what's already available now that you think actually really is both right for an individual to buy and the science is really good? Yeah. Well, I think um, consumer genetic testing, uh, and let's take out, you know, relationship testing. Let's let's forget about paternity testing and you know sibling testing and forensic testing, um, and let's just stick with uh, you know testing for for for, for health and, and ancestry. Um, I think five to ten years ago, when these tests were being produced, 
um, by and large, you would get one result per one uh, genetic variant. So there would be a genetic variant analyzed um, to do with uh, how likely your, you know, your tendons are to suffer injury. And based on that one genetic variant, um, you would get a paragraph of information that you are more or less likely to suffer injury when you train. Um, now we, as you, you know, you know, we each have 30,000 genes with, you know, tens and tens and tens of millions of possible genetic variants that have an impact. And that it's incredibly rare that just one genetic variant in one gene makes such a major difference to how our body functions and, and grows. So come up to about, yeah, 2015, 2016, companies that were saying, well, you have this genetic variant, which means you're more likely to respond to this drug, or that means, you know, you're, you're more likely to suffer with uh, Alzheimer's, are moving to a polygenic approach, and they take, you know, between, you know, dozens and hundreds of genetic variants to make a decision about what your likelihood is. And companies are developing algorithms to try and weight what your result should be based on the different impacts of these genetic variants. So what we're seeing is that companies are moving towards selling. We make the best algorithm. We've got the best scientific talent. And it's a shame because although it's definitely a more accurate way of sharing your results, it also introduces a black box. Um, each company has a different black box that produces the result based on these, you know, hundreds if not thousands of factors. And for an individual to understand them, it's you know, it's very difficult. Um, I think that the ability to buy your whole genome sequence at such a low price, um, you know, around three, four hundred dollars. Uh, to get your full 2.8 billion base pairs, I think that is really interesting because that is, um, depending on the quality of the data, uh, data that will be useful, um, you know, for the rest of your lifetime. And as that these, you know, algorithms are developed by these companies, and as you know, we get more comfortable letting companies query our data, uh, having your, you know, whole genetic data set on file that can be queried means you'll get you know, best in market analysis, because there'll be so many more companies that can analyze it, and it will be a lot more convenient and, uh, you know, virtually seamless. Um, that said, what's in your, you know, DNA in terms of the genetic variants you possess are still only a tiny piece of the overall puzzle. Um, you've got environmental sort of slash non-genetic factors, and many genetic companies, you know, don't responsibly state that in your reports. And if you are looking to buy a DNA test, that's something you should be mindful of. But you also have expression data, you know, the degree to which genetic variants are actually being expressed. And you've got epigenetic data where genes can be switched on or off. Um, so there's a lot more to come in terms of um, what consumer genetic tests uh, can tell us. Um, and it can be argued that right now they are of minimal use, but they're only going to become more and more useful as time goes on. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I think there's a couple interesting points in there. Number one, the 
whole genome sequencing is dropping so much that uh, the, the price is dropping so much that diagnostics and rare disease is now becoming routine. Um, and there's all sorts of other interesting applications like the polygenic risk scores that you mentioned that should hopefully allow us to be more predictive. Um, I've seen some amazing research come out about predicting uh, likelihood of cardiovascular disease um, as well as likelihood of breast cancer that traditionally was single genes. Um, on this kind of topic, whenever you think about predictive or preventive medicine and how this data is going to be used, who's generating it, um, there's, it seems like there's growing concern around how is the data going to be used, uh, who is accessing it, is it being sold, you know, without someone's, you know, maybe you've given permission by ticking the box, but it's not super clear. Do you, what, what are your thoughts on this? Do you have people leave comments or reviews that talk about data privacy? Do you think there should be stricter laws and regulations? Or what do you kind of, where, where do you see that part of the field going? Well, you know, it's fascinating. I, I, I think we, we are in sort of the personal data revolution where in the life of, um, you know, uh, it Cambridge Analytica, uh, you know, the Facebook scandal, uh, we're realizing that, you know, our personal data is, you know, is very valuable. Um, I would say you've got some great protection if you're in Europe because of uh, GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation. Then at any time, you can write to any company and ask what data they hold on you. Um, they can, you can ask them to give you a copy of it, and it has to be in a portable format, so they can't just give you nonsense. And you can ask them to delete it, and they have to delete it. So certainly be aware of your rights if you're in Europe. Um, and there is legislation in um, the US that says that um, you as an individual are entitled uh, to any lab report that's generated about you. And you can get that uh, directly from the lab, or if you go to the physician who commissioned it for you, they are duty bound to give you that, that data. They are legally bound to give you that data. Um, when it comes to what tests you're going to buy, uh, often in the terms and conditions, it's going to tell you what do they do with the biological sample once they've used it, and what do they do with your digital data. Many of them will say that you can ask for your biological sample to be destroyed. A few won't mention it, and if they don't, if this is something you're concerned about, then you should write and ask before you purchase the test. Um, many companies will say that we are going to use your data, um, but we're going to anonymize it, and we're only going to use it as part of a bigger set. Uh, and then we're going to sell it, um, and that's going to help us run our business, and researchers are going to use that data um, to create new treatments. Um, and by the way, Mr. or Mrs. Consumer, uh, you are not entitled to any royalties from any discovery that's made using your DNA. Um, now, I mean, that's an interesting one. Um, a lot of people I've spoken with have said that a, a DNA data set that's anonymous really isn't worth much money. Maybe it's worth tens of dollars, um, you know, forever in a one-off purchase. Um, where your genetic data becomes valuable is where you, you know, give your contact details along with it. Maybe you give your family history of breast cancer or, you know, your circadian rhythms. Uh, maybe you agree to be contacted every month about, you know, your 
gluten or lactose intolerance. It's really the data that comes along with that genetic data set that makes that genetic data set valuable. Uh, and at that point, um, you know, you can sell your data for upwards of $1,000 um, every year to researchers and pharmaceutical companies. So from that, from that perspective, there's a, that's a little bit about sort of tracking down your data, managing your data and your data rights. But there's another perspective, which is, um, and especially in North America, people are so afraid that the data is going to find its way onto the FBI database that we are frequently asked about this. And I've been to uh, genetics exhibitions where people have said, even in Canada, we don't want the US government to get their hands on our data. So I would never take a DNA test. Um, and there's definitely something interesting about that. You know, in the case of the Golden State Killer, um, he was found because one of his relatives took a, um, an ancestry test. And so the evidence at the scene of, you know, one of those crimes, the genetic evidence, was then uploaded to um, an ancestry database. And the police were able to get in touch with that relative and subtly take an additional genetic um, sample from the suspect, match it to the original sample, and that's how they were able to catch that killer. So there is some truth that, you know, once your DNA is out there uh, in, as part of a public database, um, then there are, you know, additional um, ramifications. Yeah, and I've also heard... Um actually similar concerns around data in national databases, for instance, just because you, uh, if your country has a biobank, for example, and you trust your government now, um, there's no guarantee that in the future you might be taken over by a hostile government, right? So it's, it's, it's very hard, but um, at the same time, this data has incredible value to the healthcare system, right? We want to live in a world where we treat people before they're sick and not when they're after. So uh, it seems like we've got a lot of figuring out to do as an industry of how we strike that balance between what people want, how their data should be treated, but also, um, you know, a lot of the, especially patients who have conditions that that we talk to as, as part of our work at Sano, they want their data to be used by researchers because it will help get closer to a treatment or a cure, but they also want to understand how it's being used. They don't want, like you say, it to be just kind of floating around on the internet. Um, so obviously there's lots of different ideas and solutions out there and, uh, and we're just going to have to see how things go. Okay, so one, one final question here before we wrap up. I know we're running out of time. If uh, we fast forward kind of five to ten years, uh, DNA testing choice will have tens of millions, maybe billions of hits. What do you think is the application for genetic testing that's going to rise above the rest? Call it five years, 10 years. When we look back, what's the, what's the thing that's going to really transform uh, our lives when it comes to genetic testing? Uh, I mean, I hate to be boring, but I would say personalized medicine. Um, I think, uh, you know, the... Uh, the rebel in me uh, hopes that five years from now, um, 
we'll be able to sequence ourselves as much as we want using a USB stick. We just stick it in our, um, you know, our laptop. And not only will that tell us about our, you know, whole genome sequence, but it will tell us about, um, you know, what genes are currently switched on and off and how you can, you know, what you can actually do to flip those switches. I think um, epigenetic treatments are probably you know, one of the most exciting things we have to look forward to, to know that you have a gene that makes your metabolism incredibly slow. Um, and so you seem to put on a lot more weight than the next person. And then to be able to flip that switch so that your metabolism speeds up and you, know, you can be the weight that you want to be, I think that's, uh, you know, that's fascinating. And in terms of um, you know, how you treat certain diseases, you know, we know that um, how you respond to drugs to do with uh, blood pressure, for example, is incredibly genetic. And blood, pre blood pressure medications are amongst some of the most you know, used medications around the globe. And to know that you could be taking a medication that's 30% more or less effective just because of a, uh, you know, uh, a genetic accident um, and could therefore change that is incredibly exciting. Um, not to mention um, with depression, you know, for, for depression, it often takes six months to work out if you're on the right antidepressants and you often do trial and error and you might be working with a, with a physician for three years before you find the right medication. But how you respond to antidepressants is also um, heavily genetic. And so a DNA test that can tell you, you know, the best antidepressant that's going to work for you uh, is, is literally going to change, change your life. Um, so, yeah, I think the advent of personalized medicine and, um, yeah, epigenetics in the form of flipping those switches to sort of personalize your body are the most exciting things. Oh, excellent. Okay, you heard it here first. Personalized medicine and epigenetic testing. Yeah, the, the point you made about um, pharmacogenomics, different people respond differently to drugs. We just started a, a study on our website a couple weeks ago where researchers noticed that some people, when they take aspirin, for example, they get stomach ulcers and other people don't. And, and there's a, they suspect that uh, they have a lot of great data actually to suggest that it's, it's genetics um, that are kind of driving this difference. So it's very interesting. And I think we've seen this in, in, also in, in cancer treatments, the exact mutation of the tumor can change everything. So uh, I, I love it. It's a idea that someday there will be one treatment per one person and not one treatment for millions of people. That's great. So um, if people want to get in touch with you, learn more about DNA testing choice, some of your other work, where should they find you? Twitter, DNA Testing Choice website, where's the best place? Yeah, that's right. We're on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, the best thing to do is type DNA Testing Choice into Google, or you can go to dnatestingchoice.com. And we have full details on all of the 3,000 tests available online there. Uh, and you can also reach out to our team and, um, yeah, ask any question you want about DNA testing. Um, and we will do our best to help, uh, whether it's um, trying to uh, get someone to take a paternity test um, or you want to know who your genetic romantic match could be. 
Great. Maybe the romantic match is for another episode. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not convinced on the science on that one, but maybe you can convince me. Right. <laughs> Thanks so much. Talk to you soon.